Hello, greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Ethan Long Henry, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ, where disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today, let's talk about one of those things that uh, pretty much everybody knows about, everybody's heard about. Uh, one of those things where today a lot of people glory in it or dismiss it as even being a problem, then perhaps take it seriously. For other people, it's a joke. Maybe it's just part of human nature. Others think it's a guilt complex that's designed to manipulate behavior or to make people feel bad about the things that they want to do. The thing that we're discussing is sin. And we do well to explore from Scripture what sin is. How is sin defined? What types of things are sinful? Why might that be? And the big question, what's the big problem with sin? What are the consequences of sin? We begin by looking at the dictionary definition of sin. In Webster's, it's the voluntary departure from a, of a moral agent from a known rule or rec, of rectitude or duty prescribed by God, any voluntary transgression of the divine command, a wicked act, iniquity. It's a lot there. Webster gives us a lot to think about. And so we do well to look in Scripture to see the kind of things uh, that are described as sin. Um, above, we saw here in this concept that Webster gave us of a voluntary transgression of divine law. And transgression there is a good way of looking at sin. Transgression is to cross over. And the idea is there's a standard there, and you've gone beyond it. And we see that word used to describe sin in Galatians 6.1 and Hebrews 2.2. Uh, in 1 John 3 and verse 4, sin, uh, sin is described as lawlessness. And that goes along with this idea. If there's transgression, you have to cross over something. That thing is a standard or boundary, uh, some kind of coherent set of ideas of things that uh, you should or should not do. So I, we can call that a, a law of sorts. Uh, what God decrees is right and holy. In 1 John 5, 17, sin is when we do the wrong thing. The things that are contrary to the things God has established. We also have that in Romans 7:12 and James 1 and verse 17. There's one thing about transgression, though. It just means the line has been crossed. It doesn't really speak about the motivations that may lead to that transgression. For instance, we can think of a speed limit. If there is a 30 mile an hour speed limit, uh, somebody could be going 45 miles an hour uh, because they're just flagrantly going against the law, or it could be an ambulance trying to get somebody to, to safety. And so the mere transgression uh, may not necessarily pose a difficulty because of extenuating circumstances. And so well, sin goes beyond just perhaps a accidentally or unintentionally crossing a line. Uh, there's also the idea that sin is rebellion which is a conscious action against the right and proper authority in God. That's something that uh, we see condemned clearly in 1 Samuel 12, 15. Uh, something we also can see uh, in Isaiah 1 and verse 2. It's also behind the whole idea in Romans 1, 18 through 32, people turning their uh, back and becoming foolish, no longer recognizing God for who he is and falling into sin. And this belief that we are as or no better than God, or perhaps doubt God's goodness toward us, motivates all such rebellion. You go back to the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, what the serpent was trying to do with Eve was to get her to doubt God's uh, goodness toward them and to get them, her to uh, think that maybe they, she could have something more that God was hiding from her. You, you will not die, you will become as God, knowing good and evil. And so rebellion is a, very much a part of what sin is. Now, the Greek word hamartia, it is used to describe sin, uh, literally means miss the mark. It's in Romans 5, 12, and 13, for an example. It's, it's, it's used very often in the New Testament. 
it's an archery term. It's a, the mark, of course, would be God and his standard, and, you know, when you, you don't hit the target, you don't hit the bullseye, you've missed the mark to a degree. And so sin is not merely a matter of intentionally doing wicked things. It also involves the times we fall short of God's glory, which is spoken of in Romans 3 and verse 23, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, so a lot of times you hear the word iniquity, in, in, in the Bible at least. That's a synonym of sin. It means perverseness or crookedness. Uh, we see that used in Exodus 34, 7 and 9, Isaiah 59, two other places. And the way of sin is therefore unholy and not straight. And so, these are the kind of things that sin are described by definition. But we also do well to consider the kind of images that God used to describe sin. So one of the prevalent one is darkness. In 1 John 1, 5-11, sin is darkness. That uh, uh, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so anything that is not the light is against God. Sin is against God, so sin is part of that darkness. We think about darkness as an image. It causes stumbling, difficulties. Nothing will grow in darkness. It causes problems for us. And darkness is ominous and foreboding. We also can look at sin as an illness. Hosea 7 and verse 1, the need to be healed from sin. Hosea 9, 11 through 13, where Jesus encourages people, to, the sinners, you know, that the Pharisees are so worried about uh, would somehow um, be people he wouldn't be associating with. Jesus immediately goes, thinking of sinners, to that metaphor of those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are ill. And so... Uh, it's a pervasive, debilitating, and sometimes fatal condition to have an illness. It's something that we tra we, we, we kind of get uh, that causes us great difficulty. And nobody wants to really face illness, especially when there's not a cure. Isaiah 1, 18-20, and Ephesians 5, 25-27 has a powerful image of sin as a stain or a blemish. Uh, if we have dirty clothing, we want to get it washed. And there's impurity there, and that's the idea that sin will stain us, and that we need to become unstained by being cleansed by Jesus. In 2 Peter 2, verses 20-22, Peter warns about all of those who uh, were once part of the God's faithful people and turn aside from uh, his, his truth, that uh, he says that... Um, they are like a sow who, after washing, goes back to wallow in the mire, or a dog eating his own vomit. Uh, so we have the idea of sin as the world of sin is filth and vomit. Very evocative image, and that's these are the reasons why we get the idea that sin defiles, uh, it makes us dirty. And there's the idea of sin as debt. Uh, in Matthew 18, 23-35, the whole illustration uh, of the need to forgive others is in terms of remitting debt. And of course, what's the debt that we have incurred against God? And that's why the idea in Romans 7, verse 14, that we've been sold under sin to death. And it also informs the fact that we need to be redeemed. We need to be paid back for the debt that we've incurred in Ephesians 1, 7. And so debt means that we are indebted to somebody and we cannot repay them in the case of sin. In Romans 6, 6-7 and 16, we get the idea that sin is a master. It's also consistent with debt imagery. If you're unable to pay, you're sold into slavery on account of debt, then you're a slave to sin, and sin is your master. And a lot of times we see that. Sin becomes a master. It leads somebody to continue to commit sin to keep them going. 
And then uh, there's the idea of sin as a burden. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, uh, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ comes right after Paul encourages uh, one who is spiritual when they see somebody who is uh, falling away to, to bring that person back. So there's definitely a sin uh, association there. And it is a heavy load that we cannot bear. How many have been crushed to despair trying to hold up their burden of sin? How many have turned to uh, forms of morality or drugs or other things because they, they, they're trying to escape the, the burdens under which they live? Luke 15 and verse 17, the prodigal son comes to himself when he realizes that what he has done is straying from the father. And so we can look at sin as a kind of a mindlessness or an insanity, a product of not right thinking, a lack of sober-mindedness. So we think about all these images. None of these are good things. None of these are a good time. Darkness, illness, insanity, uh, burdens. We don't like these things. Uh, and so we can see that sin is kind of described in manifestly um, unpleasant terms. So that's what sin is in the abstract, okay? And that's that's useful to know, right? We, it's good to know uh, the, the kinds of things going on with sin. But the scriptures don't leave us there. Uh, scriptures actually uh, then go further and talk about the kind of things themselves that are sinful. Now, it's very important to keep in mind, a lot of people will think of sin in terms of just actions. And maybe maybe when you do you think of that, you know, you think of sin, you think of bad things people do. And certainly those are included in sin. But Jesus in Matthew 5 and Mark 7 remind us that uh, since actions flow from thought and feeling, that uh, sins really start in the mind and the heart. And it's not just enough to uh, avoid doing doing the bad things. We must also avoid thinking and feeling them as well. And we get a good idea of what is sinful based on a host of passages. Things like Mark, Matthew 5, 21 through 38, we mentioned. Mark 7, 14 through 23. Uh, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Uh, but the go-to one, the, the clearest passage, is Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, as a whole list of the works of the flesh, and notice that Paul has emphasized twice, those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's good for us uh, to establish some categories. And we need to be careful about categories because we can take the categories too far. But the categories are kind of helpful for us to kind of uh, help with our understanding. And a lot of times the sins will cross boundaries of categories because of the very nature of categories, and that's okay. But we get a general idea where they're coming from. And notice the first ones mentioned here, and, and generally our first ones mentioned throughout the New Testament, are sins about bodily desires and passions. Because there are a lot of sins that direct that drive when we misdirect or indulge or not restrain our bodily desires and passions. And it's very important to note that these primal urges are often natural and can be channeled properly. It's not that these things are intrinsically wrong, it's that they often get distorted and abused. So, for instance, there's desire for food and drink. They're basic to life. If we don't eat or drink, we die. But we can lead these things to gluttony. Uh, to, to consume too much. Uh, overconsumption of alcohol is drunkenness, condemned here in Galatians 5. 
uh, sexual sin. Uh, you know, we have a sex drive. Uh, but to misdirect it, uh, it would include lasciviousness, which would involve thinking or acting to incite lust. I know some of those old fancy words, uh, but uh, we don't have much better right now. Uh, lasciviousness, sensuality, sexual uncleanness, which is the idea there in Galatians 5.19. Uh, and the whole realm of things that come under this term sexually deviant behavior, uh, sexual morality, um, fornication, adultery, homosexual behavior, pedophilic behavior, bestiality, polyamory, uh, things of that sort. And sexually, do behavior really includes all things outside of relations between a man and a woman whom God has joined in marriage. In Matthew 19.9 and Galatians 5.19, we'd also add in their pornography and things of that sort that lead to lust are also very sinful, contrary to Matthew 5.28, where even to lust upon a woman is to have committed adultery with her in your heart. Um, drug use would involve a distortion of bodily desires. It's a thing kind of like sorcery, condemned in Galatians 5, 19-21. That may seem odd. Wait a second. How's it like sorcery? You know, sorcery, you think of black arts or things like that. And that's certainly part of what it is. But the Greek word used there is actually pharmakeia. And that sounds familiar, it is, because it's where we get the word pharmacy. Because uh, where do you think you'd go uh, to get uh, your medicines back in the day? Well, you went to the sorcerer, really. Uh, the sorcerer magician made potions, and we get the drug industry like that in modern times. This is not to suggest, of course, that all drug use is sinful, but any drug could become sin to us if we uh, become dependent upon it, and that's what's directing our lives. Also, anger, that one of those primal feelings, can fester and turn into outbursts of wrath. Another kind of category of sin is idolatry. And idolatry is a sin by which any devotion due to God is given to something he has created. And that's really the big con condemnation in Romans 1, 18-32. Uh, the people turn their back to God, they serve things that really weren't God, and that led to depravity in mind. And really, we could reduce all sin to idolatry, because any sin is when we give desires, passions, or somebody, something, the service and dedication that's really due to God. So anything God has made or given us can be made into an idol we serve. Power, knowledge, the state, ourselves, nature, and the list is endless. We do well to mark out one specific thing. Um, in Ephesians 5, 3 and 5, uh, Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. Uh, and that, that is coming itself from Jesus in Matthew 6 telling people they cannot serve uh, two guys, they cannot serve both, two masters, they cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon being an Aramaic word for money, almost divinizing it. And there you go, you got that idea there. Uh, because the desire for money um, will consume people and their passions, and, and many will be greatly pained by it, as Paul warns in First Timothy chapter 6. But covetousness is going to be on money, it's, the, it's an inordinate desire for anything. Uh, would be covetousness. But a very large category of sins involves relational sins, because man is made for relationships, and a lot of our transgressions take place in how we relate to other people. And this is especially where it's important to remember that all sins start with the mind. And so anger leading to wrath is sinful. Covetousness leading to jealousy, which is presuming others desire what you have. And envy, which is desiring what somebody else has, is sinful. A desire to advance yourself to the detriment of others is selfish ambition, something that is an element of demonic wisdom of the world and condemned in James 3, 15 through 16. So we have these desires and these passions within us. These are the mentalities, the attitudes we have, and then they spill into relationships where they can become toxic and they get manifest in speech, uh, slander, gossip, maybe foul language, and other ways in which a character is assaulted or de defamed in Ephesians 4 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. 
when that kind of stuff happens, it's very easy for strife and factions and sects, the kind of things mentioned in Galatians 5, uh, to develop because it leads to cleavages and divisions in relationships uh, that uh, will lead to greater division in a family or in a church, in a city, and it doesn't matter. Uh, we can see that even in the country as well, and that's sinful. In extreme forms, of course, this leads to dispossessing people of property and stealing or even life and murder. And that's also condemned Genesis 9 and Ephesians 4 and verse 28. Uh, so these are the, you know, the categories we can use to describe the types of sins that we've seen throughout. Now, we have others. Uh, for instance, Romans 14.23, there's a violation of conscience, that whatsoever is not of faith is sin, that even if there is something that might be okay to do, if we don't have the faith and confidence in Christ that it's right to do it, we do it anyway, it's sin. And that's why we, we need to have confidence and trust that what we're doing is right if we're going to do it. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 talks about the importance of conviction in our faith. Now, it doesn't mean that we can use that to start excusing not doing things God told us to do. Like, well, I don't really feel like I'm good at evangelism or giving, so therefore, you know, I, I can't do that in good conscience, so it'd be sin for me to do it. No, that's not how that works. Uh, but we need to make sure that what we do, we have confidence is right. And if we're not quite sure it's something authorized, we just shouldn't do it. And James 4 verse 17, what I would suggest is one of the more terrifying verses in the Bible, uh, James tells us that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So a lot of times people will talk about sin as acts of commission, bad things you do to other people, bad thoughts you have for other people. But as James says here, sins of omission are just as problematic. In fact, if we meditate on the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, a story in Luke 10, where a, a guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, thieves come and beat him up and take his stuff, and he's left on the side of the road bleeding and maybe even dying. A priest and Levi walk by and they don't help him. Uh, and who comes in? A, a Samaritan walks by and has pity on him, takes him uh, to the, to the uh, inn and pays for his whatever he needs and will pay more if he needs when he comes back. And Jesus asks, of course, who proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And so we definitely can see the sin of the robbers for taking his stuff and beating him. But the fact that the priest and Levi did nothing to help him meant that they were just as guilty of sin in terms of the man who had been beaten up because they didn't do the good. It was no better than having done the evil. And that's something that's very hard for us sometimes to want to wrap our minds around because it, it means that we're more often the wrong than we'd care to admit. But it's something that is very clearly attested here in the scriptures. What's very interesting, though, about uh, issues of sin is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we're told that uh, the scriptures equip the man of God for every good work, that if there's something that is good for us to do, we're going to find its authority in the pages of scripture. It's going to be pretty uh, manifest as something we can do. But that's not what is said about sin. We don't see that there's ever an exhaustive sin list. As we mentioned, there are many passages that we turn to. Uh, and what's interesting, at the end of Galatians 5, there works of the flesh, Paul says, and things like these. Uh, and that's because in Romans 1 verse 30, people are inventors of evil. And we should know this. People find new and innovative ways of sinning in ways that may not have been thought of before. Or what people are really good at is redefining it. So if you call it an alternative lifestyle uh, versus an adulterous relationship or something of that sort, uh, that, that somehow makes it better or okay. 
And so that's why Paul doesn't just provide an explicit list of sins and say, this is it and only it. He then goes say things like these as well. And so we don't need to find explicit condemnation to be concerned that something would be wrong or sinful. Uh, if something is like something that is sinful, then we need to take care that we are not participating in it as well. And there are some easy examples we can think of. Like when we talk about drugs, it's a thing like sorcery. Uh, you know, we, we don't see where the use of heroin or cocaine or, or crystal meth or things like that are going to really be consistent with godliness. Uh, and we don't need to have explicit condemnation of such things because it's like the pharmacaea there that, that Paul warns us about. Gambling uh, is very much like covetousness. Uh, when you really get down to it, the, the desire in gambling is to obtain more money than you've put in without putting forth real labor. And it comes in an exploitative way because the money you've gained is the money lost by your fellow man. And that's very much like covetousness. It's not like anything consistent with the fruit of the Spirit or righteousness. And that's the thing about the works of the flesh and about sin. Deep down, we really know whether a certain thought, feeling, or action is more like the works of the flesh or is more like the fruit of the Spirit, even if perhaps we're not very happy with that answer. All right, so that's what sin is. We've seen its general definition, the kind of ways it's looked at in Scripture as transgression, rebellion, and missing the mark. We've seen the images used about sin and how unpleasant they are. Now we've kind of gone through the weeds a little bit in a short amount of time and gone through the kind of things that are considered wrong. Uh, so what about it? What makes this such a big deal? Um, well, one of the problems is that it's very pervasive. And, and the other problem is the consequences. Because in Romans 3 and verse 23, uh, Paul lays it down. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That sin has prevailed throughout the creation. In Romans 5 and 8, we're told that sin is the reason that the, there's corruption and decay in the creation. It's the reason for death. And need for redemption comes from that. And God speaks very clearly. That not only have all sinned, anybody who would claim they have not sinned, either past or present, are deluded and liars in 1 John 1, 8 and 10. And so the very environment of the world is suffused with sin and its effects. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. That means, well, okay, well, a problem everybody has, you know, this this idea that, well, they can't, uh, we can't all get in trouble for it, right? It's, if it's something that we all have a problem with, it's a universal issue, then what's the big deal about it? Well, the scripture makes known there's a lot of really uh, tragic consequences of sin. Sin separates. That's the immediate consequence. You look in Genesis chapter 3, what happened? They, uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything was great, they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now they've been cursed with death, they've been cast out of the garden of Eden, and they no longer have the communion with God in the fa face to face as they had beforehand. And in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, uh, Isaiah warns of you that their iniquities have put, made a separation between them and their God. And that's the import of Romans 5, 12 through 21 as well. So sin separates us from God, and God is a source of light and life, and that's what we're separated from, and thus that's why sin leads to death. And how many times, even beyond with God, how many people, times have people been alienated and separated because, from each other on account of sin? How many times have you seen relationships broken up because of the pain of betrayal, uh, friends uh, slandering or, or, or going behind people's back, uh, adultery in relationships? A lot of sin and alien, a lot of alienation separation because of sin. Uh, one of the pernicious lies of sin is that, well, we can just kind of cross the line and kind of stay right there by the line. A lot of people think, well, I'm not really that bad of a person. I do some wrong things. I'm just, across, just on the other side of that line, though. We like that idea. We flatter ourselves thinking that we're mostly okay. Um, 
but in Romans 1, 18-32, Paul points out, in, in the logic of the passage, people, when they reject the nature of God based on motives made known about himself, they start serving things that really aren't God, they then, God then gives them over to depravity, that they start doing things or justifying things that are, that should not be done, should not be justified. Uh, when people sin, they become further alienated, further corrupted, and degenerate spiritually, and even physically, even further. And we think about it, people turn to sin and wallow in it all the time. And it's not even just with one group of people. How many times do we see generational cycles of depravity? It doesn't necessarily mean that the son, son will bear the sins of the father, but how many times do we also have to say the apple doesn't fall, fall, fall excuse me, far from the tree? Uh, you see a, a child who's abused and he becomes an abuser. You see uh, a, chi a child who grew up in a broken home because of uh, alcohol or gambling himself becomes an alcoholic or a gambler. Uh, and you see it over and over and over again. And even with those who are able to somehow get out of that generational cycle, you can see how much effort has to be put into resisting that trend and to make that change versus how quickly uh, a person can fall into that kind of trap and begin a cycle uh, anew. Well, that's awful, isn't it? Everything we've seen so far is terrible, isn't it? These are things that, even if you might want to justify one or two of them, most of them are definitely awful, right? Um, they're terrible things. We certainly wouldn't want people doing them to us. Uh, we, uh, all the images are bad. All the consequences of our been bad. So why on earth would anybody sin? Since it's so bad, you know, why is it so per pervasive? If if it's this way, well, in Hebrews three, the Hebrew author warns everybody that they need to take careless as an evil believing, unbelieving heart, leading them to fall away from living God, uh, that none may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives. You know, sin makes itself out to be appealing, desirable, or, quite frankly, nothing else, a path of least resistance. And you think you can see how this works in our culture today, right? People treat sin very flippantly. Well, that's just the way things are, as if that justifies its continuation. Uh, a lot of people think, well, this is just a dehumanizing construct designed to make people feel guilty for doing the kind of things they want to do. Is there any greater deception in that than thinking what it causes de difficulty, pain, suffering, and illness actually is good for you? That shows just how deceptive sin really is. But of course, in the end, the real problem with sin is that it kills. As Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Death entered the world because of sin, spread of the whole creation, Romans 5.12-21. And people don't just die in the flesh because of sin. They're also going to be condemned to eternal punishment away from God if they have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ or repented of their sinful ways, according to Romans 2.5-11 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-9. It's awful. Now consider humanity and the carnage wrought by sin, pain, suffering, devastation, and death, all of which uh, result in some way or another from sin. So that's sin, a transgression of God's ways, rebellion against God's purposes, missing the mark of God's glory. Uh, it is described in scripture as darkness, as an illness, as, as madness, as all kinds of terrible things. The scriptures describe a range of sinful thoughts, feelings, behaviors. We, we certainly know the things that are sinful, whether we want to admit it or not. And sin proves all pervasive. It separates, it degenerates, it deceives, and it ultimately kills. And it's a hope that you can see why we can't take sin casually or flippantly. We are all guilty, and we all suffer from it. But thanks be to God. 
that he has shown us grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we can have forgiveness of all of our sins. With a chance to change our hearts and minds when we believe in him, to follow after him, do his thing ways, and not follow the ways of sin. Uh, prove obedient to Jesus and to obtain life in the resurrection. And so we hope that we all find salvation in Jesus and to avoid sin at all costs. And again, we're so glad that you've joined us. If you've been found this beneficial, we encourage you to share it with your uh, friends, family, and others on social media. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about, if you have a prayer request, you'd like to learn more about us, uh, please find us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media. If I can be of service personally, please reach out to me through my website, DeVerbalVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Again, thank you. Have a great day.